welcome to this episode of Creating Conversation, the podcast by the White Boar. I'm Alex, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief for Digital Media, and with me, I'm very excited to introduce our sports editor, Luke. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. And also our Deputy Sports Editor, Sam. Hi, Alex. So uh, I will admit, I'm very excited to be on this section of the podcast because I think sport is by far the section I've written for the most in my now four years at the board so um excited to be part of it and i had it i had it earmarked as the one i wanted to do um a few weeks ago um so before we get into our lockdown sporting highlights i thought we'd first mention uh varsity so in-person varsity was unfortunately cancelled in september uh, after coventry university withdrew um charlotte lloyd told the board sport that sports clubs are understandably disappointed, but it wouldn't be safe to host 40 plus fixtures in the current circumstances. Um, in place of that, Coventry Phoenix faced the Warwick Esports team in the varsity weekend, and um, as has happened for the last 30 years, Warwick won 4-1. So good news on that front. Um, moving on for our first section, I thought we'd maybe look back at the past, I suppose it's about a year now, um, and think about our, our lockdown sporting highlights. So I've kind of had in my mind for the past few weeks um, the return of crowds to sport. Uh, and we got the good news um, a few days ago that crowds hopefully will be returning um, in force in June. Um, but before that, I was thinking about uh, watching the first cricket match between India and Australia uh, in, in mid-December. And it was the first time I'd seen seen any crowd at sport in, in so long. Um, and for me, I kind of, I kind of find it weirdly emotional because when I was watching the cricket during the English summer, they had what was called the Lord's Harm, which they took audio from Lords from a few years ago, and they kind of just kept playing that over and over and over. And once you noticed which signs were which, it became, it became really frustrating to listen to. Um, so I'm sure you guys felt that, felt that as well with, with the crowds coming back. Mm. Um, with the Australian Open last week, that was a big thing for me. Like you had Kyrgios's games, and he was in Australia in his home country. And it was just so strange to see people genuinely getting behind their player or their team. So yeah, as you say, kind of weirdly emotional. And in, in the final with, with kind of Djokovic, um, they didn't seem too too fond of him, which was which was nice to see, I suppose. <laughs> um, Sam, what did you have as your, your lockdown sporting highlights? Um, so my kind of first lockdown sporting highlight was um, the League Two playoffs, which is quite a niche niche little subject, but my team, Colchester United, um, on the back of points per game, uh, met somehow the first time in, I think, 15 years, made it into the playoffs or kind of promotion picture of, of League Two and the division that they're in. And it was partly kind of a great event because we'd actually made it to the playoffs, but it was also weirdly sad because we, we weren't going to be there. It was almost kind of awkward like me my dad and my brother sitting down on the sofa watching a game where we would have been there or a couple of games where we would have been there and then it was made even worse by the fact that we then went on and lost in extra time with the second leg of the playoff semi-final so that was quite disappointing and the other event which stuck out for me was actually one that I went to so I went to um, uh, Leamington Spa FC versus Banbury FA Cup game, which was almost quite surreal because it's a game where it's a local derby. Leamington and Banbury are quite close to each other. 
and it's the FA Cup. So you would have had quite a few fans there, fans who wouldn't normally go to the game. But instead, it was me, the Leamington press officer, and a group of kind of quite vocal old blokes from Banbury who were kind of cheering their team along quite vocally. And it was just it was just a very strange experience. And also, Leamington lost. So in the end, it was quite a depressing experience as well because it was so cold so cold my phone ran out of power at half time and my laptop was steadily kind of draining down to one percent so yeah it's kind of the experience of a lockdown football match imagine it was quite nice to be able to actually see some football though the quality wasn't amazing not gonna lie but yeah it was all right amazing and luke what did you have for your lockdown sporting highlights um kind of on a similar vein um so one of the ones i picked out was reporting on coventry united's uh 2-1 defeat against liverpool in the fa women's championship that was really interesting um that was the first time the board had kind of been to a coventry united game to report on and again that was equally surreal and i think slightly more surreal given kind of the caliber of players that were kind of on show i think kind of i, I was in the main stand at butts park arena and there was just me the guy operating the camera who was also the commentating at the same time. So that was quite impressive from, from him in, in all fairness. Um, and yeah, again, it was just a bitterly cold day. Um, but funny, it's, it's just always great to actually physically be there. Like one of my first, I think my second article for the war um, back kind of pre coronavirus times was a, a champions cup game between wasps and, and Toulouse. And that's kind of when I fell in love with, with writing about, sport in particular so no it was good to get back into back into a stadium and kind of Leamington and, and Coventry United have been really kind to us and great to us this year um some of the other ones that I really enjoyed um the Bundesliga was the first football league to return after kind of the first wave of the coronavirus um and that was amazing because it wasn't particularly controversial like the German teams just kind of followed the rules and, and got on with it. It wasn't quite as political as what we saw in England with the Premier League stuff, whether the league would be kind of null and void and all that kind of debate. Um, and especially kind of at the level uh, Sam was talking about with with League One, League Two, where there was a big discussion about kind of how they should proceed in, in Germany. It was just very much kind of, we're going to play, that's the end of it. And they played and it, it was a great product and they all kind of really, really impressed me. Um, the other one as well that kind of stood out was the Formula One World Championship. Not so much because of the action on the track. Lewis Hamilton was completely and utterly dominant. Um, so Rhys Goodall, who's our chief sub-editor, tended to, to write our, our race reports. And most weeks, and this isn't a criticism of Rhys because it was completely true, but most weeks I'd get the article and I could predict one line one line every every time and get to the analysis part of his, of his report and he'd say, look, again, Lewis Hamilton started on pole and he won. It wasn't that entertaining. That was basically his analysis most weeks. But aside from that, it was really good to see that Formula One is one of those other events that was able to kind of keep the product that they were offering to fans pretty much the same, um, which is even more impressive considering the nature of the sport. This is obviously something that has to fly from Silverstone to Spa and all around the world. So the fact they was able to put on a season under these circumstances was quite amazing it kind of gave me some faith that sport can kind of rise above some of these things because that would have been kind of a huge logistical challenge and on that it'll be quite interesting the um drive to survive documentary is out on netflix in march um i think it's the 8th of march something like that um so yeah to see kind of behind the scenes will be something to look out for too 
Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for that. I think I think the second season I kind of binged in in a day or two. Um, but I no, I completely agree with the F1 actually because it's kind of um, one of the sports that I follow, and um, I just the way ha I just find it so seamless the way they they dealt with all the problems that came up with coronavirus. You know, you had Nico Hulkenberg guessing his his return um, because of that, and yeah, it was it was I mean. I suppose it wasn't necessarily a great season in the sense of the some of the racing. Um, although, I guess Alfatari did win did win a race and uh, and there were some good ones. But just in terms of the spectacle, I suppose it kind of lent a bit of, of normality to um, to watching sport. Yeah, definitely. And with the F one as well, that as I say, kind of at the top end, Hamilton dominated because he's the best driver in the best car, so it's kind of what to expect. Best driver, but Luke, best driver. He is Ma on the Max grid. Max Verstappen, Max Verstappen, quality man. You say this as kind of a Dutch person who every, so for context, every time we do a Borsport podcast and it has anything to do with the Netherlands, Sam will call the Dutch people involved beautiful people, so that, that's some context behind his Verstappen remarks. Um, but no, I, I do think Hamilton... Even if we remove the fact that he is or isn't the best driver on the grid, he's got the best car by a distance. So it kind of made it somewhat predictable. If if, if the question is Hamilton or Bottas, you're going to pick Hamilton kind of every day of the week. Um, but even though it wasn't competitive in terms of who's going to win the World Championship, because I think everyone pretty much knew from the get-go, it was interesting for the storylines down the grid as well. I mean, there were weeks when as you say, kind of Pierre Gasly won that, that race. I think it was the French Grand Prix, something like that. So yeah, it, it was just an interesting interesting season. Even one of the races that Hamilton did win in Turkey, that was just absolutely mad because they just resurfaced the track and no one could really stay pointing in the right direction. So no, I think it was a good year for Formula One and, and I don't think many people expected it would be. So it would be difficult to, to live up to that going forwards. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'm... I, when I was younger, I was a big Fernando Alonso fan, so I'm very, very excited to see him coming back. I, I would agree with you that this year, um, Hamilton has been the best driver on the grid, but I think next year, Alonso maybe supplants him for me, but I think that's a, a discussion for another time. Um, we thought we'd cast forward as well to, to some sporting events we're looking forward to um, in the future, and both for me and Sam, the Euros came up in this, so maybe Sam, you want to say a bit about, about your, your excitement for the Euros? Um, so as Luke mentioned, most sport sport podcasts usually start and end with me calling Dutch people and Netherlands in general a beautiful country with beautiful people. And that's why I'm really excited for the Euros this summer. So the Netherlands have their best squad in in years, I would say, in about I would say probably since twenty ten, I think they've got their best squad. You've got players like Frankie de Jong, who despite his recent kind of Things haven't gone very well for him at Barcelona, but he's still, he's still, I would say, one of, if not the best midfielder in the world. You've got De Ligt and Van Dijk if he makes it back in defence. You've got Memphis, who's an informed striker up front. We've got a kind of well-rounded and really good squad, and I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen, how far we're going to get, especially under Frank de Boer, who's a manager. He wasn't the most popular choice when, when he replaced Ronald Coleman, but... He's steadily improving, seemingly. He's getting them to play in his style. He's slightly more exciting, if anything, than we were under Coleman. So you never know what's going to happen. And the Euro is always just a very fun festival of football. So let's, let's hope it'll be an exciting tournament. 
No, definitely. Let's hope so. From from my angle, I mean, I, I wrote an article for the board about this as well, but Scotland have never qualified for a tournament in my, in my lifetime. I was born in 1998, just after we got we got bundled out of, of France 98. And um, yeah, so I've never seen my country in a tournament. And I was very afraid that the first um, first tournament I'd see Scotland in would be the, the World Cup in Qatar, which I, I think, as most people do, I have you know mixed feelings about it. So I was, I was pretty thrilled that they qualified, although you know, I don't think my heart appreciates how how difficult the qualification process was. Um, but I, I guess there was a little disappointment in there that, that we'll be playing. I think I think we played two of our games at Hamden. Um, yeah. And then I think we maybe play England down in England. So as the, Yeah, as things stand, I think, I think whether it will be a kind of Europe-wide tournament is quite like disputed at the moment. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but I mean, hopefully the games won't be all at Hamden. That'd be that'd be ideal. But I guess uh, I, I say I always look forward to Scotland England as a game. But I think I have too many scars over the years to necessarily be, be like that. I I remember you know a few years ago when um well I think we were two two one up going into injury time and then then Harry Kane scored that free kick um, mm. to equalise. That was yeah that was one of my least favourite footballing memories. Um, but anyway, look, what are you looking forward to over the next? few months um so the the thing i'm most looking forward to is kind of the return of uk ice hockey um it's something that we've reported on loads with the boar and it's really a, a cool sport to be involved with to be honest so it's been on hold since the start of the pandemic um the top level that is the elite ice hockey league um at the time of kind of the sport going into lockdown coventry blaze were third in the standings and were the form team in the country which was really surprising because Coventry Blaze kind of in recent years haven't been that good kind of in, in terms of the position in, in the table. Um, so, yeah, the return of ice hockey will be really exciting. Currently, the second division are playing, which is a bit odd when the first division isn't. Um, so that kind of gives you something to watch. But hopefully by September, people will be able to physically be there in some capacity. So hopefully that will be good for the teams involved. In terms of ice hockey as well, Team GB compete in the top level of of the world championships which means they play against teams like the united states canada russia um and this year they don't have the risk of being relegated um so they were promoted kind of two seasons ago um they didn't play last year because of the pandemic but the season before that they kind of made their debut in the top flight or returned to the top flight for the best part of 20 years um and it went down to the final match of the tournament when they played france France have kind of a couple of players who play in the NHL. So basically the NHL is, is the big league. It's like the Premier League of, of hockey. Um, and the Team GB players all pretty much play in Britain and Germany, which is kind of like playing in the National League compared to the Premier League. So it's quite a golf. Um, and they, they won in overtime to stay up in the division and relegate France, which was amazing. Um, so hopefully, yeah, Team GB playing again this summer without the risk of relegation will be fun because you get to see them play against like the best players in the world and with no risk of having to drop down once again. So no, that, that should be really fun to watch. Um, the other one that I'm really looking forward to is Wimbledon. Uh, the fact it was cancelled last year was, was really gutting because there were so many different players who kind of stood a chance of winning that. And obviously it's such a kind of historic institution in the UK. Um, for me personally, to just disclose some biases, I really hope Federer wins. Um, I remember 2019 final when it was the same day as England's Cricket World Cup final. I was so devastated after Federer lost. Mm -hmm. I just refused to watch the cricket because it was just like, no, I can't, I can't deal with any more heartbreak today. And of course, England went 
went on to win in the final over. So yeah, hopefully Wimbledon happens with some semblance of, of spectators in, in SW10 uh, and that'd be great. Um, and hopefully Roger Federer wins and hopefully maybe Serena Williams too and, and they can roll back the clock. Um, on the Euros, I've actually got tickets for a game in Budapest. Um, so it doesn't look like I'll be going to that, but uh, who knows if... Do you, do you know which game it will be? Um, so it's meant to be the round of 16 game. Um, it's the winners of the group that Italy are in. Uh, no, it's the winner of the group that the Netherlands are in. So it should be the Netherlands versus the third place team from kind of England, Scotland's group and two others. Really? So yeah. it would be a really good game potentially. Um I'm jealous, exactly. Luke. I'm jealous. I would have um, been going to a game as well. I'd have been going to a group game. I would have been going to Netherlands against North Macedonia, which I'm sure would have been an incredible, incredible match. And the experience of being and watching the Netherlands at Euros in Amsterdam would have been incredible as well. So as you say, if that doesn't happen, it'll be quite sad again. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the biggest issue with the Euros this summer is because it was meant to be this huge festival of, of football across Europe. And now it's it's looking like something very, very different. Um, and of course, there's lots of talk about where they might or might not stage the competition. At the minute, it's still meant to be held across 12 different countries, which, given how kind of the vaccine rollout's going in Europe, seems a little bit optimistic. Um Israel has offered to, to host the whole tournament, which again sounds ambitious given the number of stadiums that they have that would meet kind of the required level. So who knows? Um, either way, it'll be great to see kind of the football. And I think it'll be really unpredictable too in terms of who wins because all of the players are going to be exhausted from the best part of kind of 18 months without a proper break. And then looking forward after that, you've got the World Cup in Qatar in kind of December 2022. So this is kind of the start or rather the middle point of, of the most ridiculously jam-packed schedule for like the top quality players. So anything could happen um, and that will make it really exciting regardless of, of how well kind of each of our respective countries play. All right, it, it, will, be, it will be really exciting to see. Um, I, I, do, I do hope they get to host the games as you, as you said, the celebration of football across um across europe because yeah it would just be uh just be incredible to see and i mean for, for me personally i guess I don't, I don't really have a club side that i necessarily support you know I'm, I'm from edinburgh and i guess if i had to pick a team i'd pick hearts but you know a they're not they're not doing too well and haven't been for a few years and then also it's just quite hard to go and see them when i'm down here so scotland has kind of become you know it's kind of taken on all my all my passions for for club football as well um yeah just it should be so exciting i would say you might see scotland as the third place team from our group but the other two teams are croatia and czech republic and i think we're, we're well below them so might be unlucky there um before we move on for this i noticed sam you also mentioned mm -hmm. the olympics um when you're thinking about um the sports events you're looking forward to i guess I'd kind of echo that and say I, I am very excited for them. They, they still seem adamant that they'll, that they'll go ahead, but kind of, you know, mm. whether that will be the case, I'm, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Well, the Olympics are always just such a fun, almost like festival of sport. I mean, some people would say that it's the biggest sporting event in the world. I mean, for me, it's probably second only to the World Cup. And just the fact that you every time you turn on the TV, you have some kind of event going on, whether it's swimming or athletics or netball or 
whatever like water water polo, water polo or something like that they're all fun to watch they're all very competitive and yeah the olympics are just a great great event so hopefully they'll go ahead they're quite a comforting thing to have on in the summers aren't they when i suppose mm. it would be in summer this time but just to you know have on the background as you go go about your day um anyway i thought we'd finish with some section highlights from sports um Luke, you've been doing, um, taking part in the LGBT plus history month, um, for sport has, uh, and there's been kind of a host of, of really great and interesting articles about that. So maybe you could start us off with one of those. Uh, yeah. So the, the article that I picked out from that was by Mitchell Ryan, which is titled LGBT plus history month, uh, football's role. Um, where's that effect It's a really interesting article. It kind of talks through, um, why there aren't kind of openly gay footballers in in men's football in particular and he kind of speaks to to various people that he knows personally so yeah it's a really interesting article it runs through the history of the topic kind of related to the premier league um and it handles it with with genuine care and attention like the way that his mitchell's gone about writing the article is really impressive um and especially considering like he only wrote his first article for us about two months ago and he fills the inbox up kind of pretty much every week since. So no, it's it's a really tremendous article and I, I, I definitely recommend you check it out. No, I, I loved I loved the bit, you know, just his, his line at the end where he said, you know, to actually become the beautiful game, you know, this is something that, that the sport has to has to take on. Um, were there any other articles that you wanted to highlight? Um, the other one that I wanted to pick out was actually a couple of weeks old now, but it's it's really again another quite quite fun article to read. So um, listed the NFL's most valuable players in 2020 by Curtis DeYoung. Um, Curtis joined us for our preview podcast of the Super Bowl. He really knows his stuff. Um, speaking of, so to provide some, some context, the Boar Sports Super Bowl coverage was kind of framed towards beginners. So I hosted the podcast and I'm someone who knows absolutely nothing about the NFL. Um, so we kind of framed it in that way, kind of like teaching me about NFL. But this article about kind of the NFL's most, most valuable players was really interesting because it was set against the context of the season, also kind of ran through kind of his top players. And I think it gives quite a good introduction to people who kind of aren't familiar with the sport and it's really well written and it's on shorthand, which means there's lots of kind of nice pictures to look at too. So yeah, that, that's the other article that I wanted to give a quick shout out to yeah it, it's a really really interesting article i'm exactly like you and i think you know sometimes i watch the super bowl when it comes around maybe i only make it to halftime um just because of how late it is but it's it's kind of really interesting to hear about it. and it's always kind of you know it's a sport that i think i wish i, I knew a lot more about um i also picked uh, a listed article this time the top 10 performers in the premier league 2020 2021 again written by mitchell ryan who wrote the LGBT plus history month piece that you chose. Um, I just think I, I love the listed articles. Um, I think they're, they're such a great way to, you know, promote bits of controversy um, and make you think. But kind of what, what struck me about this one is, is maybe as, as you'd expect, it's um, Kevin De Bruyne um, is number one, then Salah, Kane, Fernandez, and so on. Um, and it's, it's a good list, but I just, I, what struck me about it was how, how quickly things can change because this article came out on the 10th of February and you know in the last two weeks they're already names especially with what's happened with Liverpool and how, how kind of drastic their fall has been and you know teams like Leicester and, and Luke you're a West Ham fan aren't you? 
yeah so especially yeah. kind of yeah <laughs> especially that kind of um those teams getting better i don't know would you have phil foden in there now because he, he doesn't make the list but he's kind of had a, a bit of a miracle run recently um so no i love i love these kind of articles yeah that, it's a really interesting article as well and um when when mitchell was writing this initially he had a list of i think 17 players and i was like i'm all for listed articles but kind of that many is, is slightly I, i'm not sure if it was this article or another one that he did um but yeah so it was, a, it was very much kind of narrowing it down um but no i think he got it pretty much spot on i'd agree i mean i wouldn't have put salah so high um based on kind of current form um but i feel like given his history you kind of have to put him up there otherwise you look a little bit like you're trying to ruffle the feathers of some of some liverpool fans but no what i would say i mean needs to be more west ham players at least for <laughs> at least for, for this there. season who would I have? Um, yeah, yeah. In also, well, not I wouldn't really put four in. Um, but Thomas Suchek, as as Mitchell put in, has been incredible. Um, he's not just tall and good and near. He's actually a really good footballer. He's not just kind of Fellaini part two. Um, Declan Rice is, to use Sam's uh, terminology, <laughs> a beautiful man and a beautiful footballer. Um, so he deserves a place in there. Uh, other than that, remarkably, um, Craig Dawson. Is just emerging as one of the best defenders in the Premier League at the moment. I'm not saying that that that's kind of going to be a permanent trend. I think that's more form than class, but still, I'll take it. Um, the other West Ham player that really impresses me is uh, Vladimir Sufal, who mm. we signed for five million pounds from um, Slavia Prague, not Sparta Prague. If you say Sparta Prague, you'll get told off a lot when you write articles and you get it wrong, as I have experienced. Um, and he's just been unreal and he's incredible. And, and the bromance that Suchek and Su Fowl have, because they're both from the same club and both play for the Czech national team, is just a constant feature now of, of the West Ham social media channel. So, yeah, that, that'd be my top four for West Ham. But I think, again, it's a really great article and, and definitely one to check out. For sure, for sure. And Sam, what articles do you have in mind? So I had one which is titled Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Ibrahimovic, Football's Greatest Iconoclast by Toby Farmer. It's one of our shorthand articles and it came out quite recently. I think it just gets across really well what a kind of phenomenon uh, Zlatan is. I mean, he's 39 and he's outperforming any other seasons he's had across his career. He's averaging 1.43 goals per game and it all kind of just fits into this image of Zlatan, which is formed across the years so um, I remember reading like 10 years ago I was about 12 or 13 his autobiography which is called I am Zlatan Ibrahimovic and it's it's just such a fun read I mean there's this one passage where he goes on for about 20 pages about how he once took out his Porsche and went on some country roads at 200 miles an hour and how he loved that which was quite weird but quite quite interesting at the same time and quite fun and yeah I'm just I'm a big participant I think in the cult of Zlatan and Toby just got this kind of sense of what what a man he is and what a player he is as well what a brilliant player he is across really well in this article so yeah how how do you feel about kind of his his personality you said you you subscribe to the cult but you know he, mm -hmm. he does create this very I suppose at times quite well, at all times, quite combative character. Mm -hmm. 
that I suppose rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. Mm. I guess that's kind of his intention, but at the same time, he can kind of tell it's tongue in cheek. Like I think at one point when he was in the Premier League with Man United, he was asked um, a question about an injury and how quickly he came back from that injury. And uh, he said something like, lions don't don't recover uh, for as long a time as humans or something like that. And you could tell after he said that, he started laughing. And so he's kind of projecting this image of himself, which he thinks is quite comical, which rubs people, some people up the wrong way, as you say. If you take it in how I'm sure it's meant to be taken as a kind of comical thing, but also kind of creating this kind of indestructible image I think you get a true sense of what an incredible sportsman and what kind of fun human beings Latan actually is. On um, Ibrahimovic as well, I'll, I'll link it to the article as well. So there's a line in the article towards the end where Toby says, much like there was Diego and Maradona, there is also Zlatan in Ibrahimovic. Um, I'm not actually sure the contrast between the two is as severe as, as was the case with Diego and, and Maradona. Um, but I think it's an interesting comparison nonetheless. But when Ibrahimovic signed for the LA Galaxy, um, who play in Major League Soccer, which is the US and Canada equivalent of the Premier League, he took out a full-page article in the LA Times, which is obviously a huge newspaper in, in the region, and all he wrote was, Dear Los Angeles, you're welcome, and then he signed it to Latin Ibrahimovic. That was it. That was the whole kind of full-page kind of article. And when he was in MLS, he was... A, ridiculously good on the pitch. He scored some, frankly, outrageous goals. Um, and B, he genuinely transcended the sport, which you don't see in America from kind of a footballer or a soccer player. Um, so, yeah, this is someone who has scored throughout his career. When he came back to AC Milan, everyone was like, well, he's passed it. He's played in America. It's it's not the same Platan. Um, and this season is, is completely kind of proven everyone wrong and can... And it's shown that he can still kind of score at the high, highest level. Um, there's obviously controversial sides to him too. Um, but I think it's characters like that that kind of draw you into football in the first first place sometimes. So, yeah, it's another really top article on, on an interesting interesting topic. No, for sure. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. I, I, I think I still remember where I was when he scored. Was it 2012 he scored? The goal against England, the yeah. overhead kick from that was, that was, yeah. I, I still maybe think that's the best goal I've ever seen. But yeah, live uh, definitely 100%. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Anyway, I think that's all we have time for today. So I'd encourage everyone, firstly on Facebook, it's the Boar Sport, Twitter at Boar Sport. Check them out on both of them. Also, if you're interested in writing uh, for the Boar Sport, um, on Facebook, it's the Board Sport Writers, and I believe the email is sport at the board at the board.org. Thank you very much for listening, and be sure to catch the next episode of Creating Conversation. Thanks, guys.